Good to see you all out again this evening. We appreciate you coming out. It's a rainy, dreary, dark kind of night, and we appreciate your interest in serving God that brings you out. And we'd just like to thank you so much for being able to spend these few days with you. The uh, meeting just started and it's over. But uh, I want to thank everyone that's extended hospitality to us. We had lunch with the Palmers this afternoon, and, and y'all have, have fed us and, and invited us in your homes and made us feel welcome. And, and some of you uh, have made invitations, and there just, there just haven't been enough slots, enough days for, you know, for us to be with everybody. That, that asked us to go eat with them or, or spend some time with them. Just appreciate that so much. So uh, vitally important for a congregation to have hospitality and love and care for, for one another and for visitors, and y'all show that, and we, we appreciate that very much. Um, for our final lesson in this series, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and starting to read in verse 3, Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Paul had great love for Timothy. He referred to Timothy as his son in the faith on multiple occasions. Paul first encounters Timothy in Acts chapter 16. The first couple of verses were introduced to him there as a young disciple. Uh, his mother is Jewish. His father is Greek. Uh, but T Timothy had, had a grounding in a faith in God way before he ever met Paul. And Paul reminds him here, and we read this verse 5 this morning in the lesson, and there's, there's a little bit of overlap. There, there's a few passages tonight that we've already read, and they're, you know, I understand that, but we're kind of looking at different aspects here. But Paul, Paul reminds Timothy about this faith that he has, a sincere faith, a faith in God. And, and, and in chapter 3, as stated this morning, Paul encourages Timothy to, to, to go back and grab onto that faith and to remember who it was that had taught him about God and taught him the scriptures, that it was his mother and his grandmother that started him down the journey to, to uh, being a follower of God. And, and had they not done that, who knows if he would have become a Christian later on or not. And so, you know, as parents, we have this great privilege slash responsibility to teach our children. And, and as grandparents or aunts or uncles or, or next door neighbors or whatever the case may be, if there are young people in your life, in your sphere of influence, we have this great opportunity to help the next generation to learn about God. The home is, as we've already said, it's designed by God. It's an institution created by God. And therefore, it serves an important purpose. And one of those purposes, I think, is that the home serves as our teacher. When we are little children and as we grow up, 
And, and ideally, if we grow up in a household that serves God and reads God's Word and, and where mom and dad worship God and are believers, then, then they are going to help us to learn lessons and skills and qualities that are going to make us better people uh, number one, just in the secular world we live in, we're going to go out in the world and we're going to be able to socialize and get along and live peaceably with other people. We're, we're going to learn to work and, and to take responsibility. But, but number two, it's going to help us spiritually because it's going to build us, it's going to give us that foundation like Timothy had that, that he could, as Timothy would go through his life, he could always reach back and remember where it was that he came from and that those, you know, those lessons that he had learned from his mother and his grandmother. So I, wanna, I want us to think about the home as our teacher, as our teacher of godly principles. For example, we think about love. And we should learn love in the home. Now, Sadly, unfortunately, some of these qualities we're going to think about for the next few minutes are not always present in homes. We recognize that. But they need to be. And as, as children of God, as servants of Jesus Christ, we should have these qualities in our lives. And, and then our, our children are going to see these qualities in us when they look at mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or whoever is the case may be. In Matthew chapter 22... Jesus is, is posed with a, yet another question. Uh, as we saw the other night, they come asking him a series of, of questions. And in verse 36, a, a scribe, a lawyer comes to him and says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus says these are the two greatest of the commandments because they affect all the other commandments. Because as Christ says, everything else hangs on these two concepts. If I love God with all my heart and mind and soul and strength, then, then I'm going to want to do His will. And, and when I read His Word and He asks me to do something, I'm not going to argue with that. I'm not going to rebel or question that. I'm going to be obedient because I love God and I understand the great things that God has done for me. And if I love my neighbor as much as I love myself, I, I'm not going to steal from them. I'm not going to commit adultery with my neighbor's wife. I'm not going to be abusive toward them verbally, physically, or in any way uh, because I love them and I, and I want what is best for them. So Jesus says that all the law and the prophets hang on this concept of love. And Paul repeats that in, in Romans chapter 13. Romans 13 and, and verses 8 through 10 he says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment 
are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14, Paul goes so far as to say that, that it is all the, the word of God boiled down into one thought. Uh, Galatians 5 verse 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law in one word, Paul says. All of God's moral precepts are based on love. That we love others. That we love others as ourself. That we put what's best for the other party first. And where's the first place that we should learn about love? Well, ideally, it's at home. When, when we're young, Titus chapter 2 and, and verses 3 and 4, Paul's giving Titus instruction on, on different people in life, older men, older women, younger men, younger women, and, and how they ought to conduct themselves. And, and starting in verse 3 there of Titus 2, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. We're, we're, we're supposed to be handing this concept of love down to, from generation to generation. And when we look at our mother and our father, and we see that they love us and how they put us before themselves and sacrifice for us in many ways, and how they sacrifice for each other, then, then that helps us to understand the way that God feels about us and the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. In Colossians 3 and in verse 19, Paul says to husbands, Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Don't be harsh with your spouse. Show love. And, and love is the idea of putting the other person first. And, and as Paul says in Ephesians, to love our wives as our own bodies. We, we should learn love from the earliest of our days at home. And we learn commitment at home. God wants commitment out of us as servants of His Son Jesus. But, but we learn that in our home life, again, as we observe godly parents fulfilling God's teachings. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 12, you know, as, as we talked Friday night and last night about the permanence of marriage and the commitment involved in marriage. Mark chapter 10 and verse 6. And I... I just looked at these pages earlier and they just opened right up for me. Mark chapter 10 and verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, Jesus says, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. 
Now we know in today's world we've already discussed this. You know, marriage is seen as very disposable. People enter into it thinking that they, they'll just get out of it if, if they don't like it, if they're not 100% happy and satisfied, well, I'll just send him back or send her back. I'll just return them and go try again with someone else. Jesus is saying what God has joined together, let not man separate. And, and Malachi, the Old Testament prophet, we, we read his words the other night, Malachi chapter 2, that, that he's... Uh, God is, is uh, saddened. Verse 13, the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does He not? Why does God not accept our offerings? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Don't be faithless. Don't, don't, uh, don't wimp out. Don't bail out on your commitments you've made to your spouse, your companion. Don't deal treacherously, the King James says here, towards your wife. Follow through. Work it out. Don't entertain the, the idea that we'll just, we'll just call it off at the first sign of difficulty. Now, Jesus requires commitment from us. In Luke 9, and starting there at verse 23, Christ, He said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus says that if we're going to follow him, we've got to take up our cross. And that, that's, that's a sign of suffering. And that's a sign of shame. Crosses is what they killed people on. The Romans hung people on crosses and, and slowly tortured them to death if they were guilty of heinous crimes. And, and Jesus is saying, you got to take your cross not, not once, not every now and again, but do it daily to serve me. You got to be willing to lose your life for my sake. Now, maybe, maybe that means literally somebody's going to chop my head off or, or execute me because of my faith in Christ. Or maybe that, you know, on, on the other hand, maybe that just means I'm going to have to give up some things that are dear to me in order to conform my living with God's teachings. But, but I've got to be willing to sacrifice and commit myself. Jesus doesn't want casual followers. He wants people that are dedicated and committed 
And hopefully we learn that looking at our parents as children, that they're committed to one another. And maybe they have the occasional disagreement or, or don't see some things on eye, but they, they work it out and discuss it. And, and they, they are committed to one another. In Hebrews 3, the Hebrew writer uh, often through this letter talks about the fact that we, we've got to stay faithful to Christ, not just for a little while, but, but until the end. And, and he, he compares it to the children of Israel. They left Egypt and they were with God, but then they, they fell, uh, fell astray, fell aside, left the, left the, the path in the wilderness. And, and many of them suffered and died because of that. And how God was grieved with that generation. And there in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 3, uh, the writer says, For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. we got to hang in there to the end. And in our marriages, we hang in there to the end. And that shows our children that there are things worth committing yourself to. And that there are things that we can hang on to until the end. And then there's forgiveness. Forgiveness. God has forgiven us. Christ has forgiven us. And, and God demands that we forgive others. Because all have sinned. Romans 3 verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us is perfect. We all mess up sometimes. We all make mistakes. We, we, and, and we've got to be willing to forgive one another. And, and that starts with some self-reflection. Uh, in Matthew 7, in verses 3 and, and 4 and 5, Jesus says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. When the kids look at mom and dad, what do they see? Do they see forgiveness on display? And when they make a mistake, do they see forgiveness out of mom or dad? Or do we, do we hold grudges? Do we, do we get mad and it turns into, well, I'm not going to speak to you. And, and does it turn into, well, we're just going to go our separate ways. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. And not just at home. In our, in our interactions with other people, be it work, be it school, uh, do, do we allow things to fester and generate, you know, I'm just never going to forgive them for what they did. Well, that's not very Christ-like. Christ forgave us. Christ says forgiveness is a defining quality of Christianity. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, 
humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I've got to be willing to forgive because Christ forgave me of so much. I've got to be willing to forgive others. You know, Peter asked Jesus in Matthew 18 about forgiveness. And he poses the question there, verses 21 and 22. Uh, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And I, I picture Peter, Peter just thinks he's going to get a gold star and a pat on the back from Jesus. You know, look, I, I'm going to tell Jesus that I'm willing to forgive somebody seven times and Jesus is going to say, that is awesome, Peter. You are the greatest. And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven times. And the point isn't to count up and and make a mark every time we do it, and when we get to that limit, well, that's it, no more. I've done it 70 times seven times, don't have to do it anymore. The point is infinite. The point is you just forgive. And then you forgive again. And then you forgive some more. Because it's what God's done for me. And that's what God's done for you. And we've got to be forgiving for our marriages and our homes and our families to survive. Because we all make mistakes from time to time. It's just part of being human. And if we can forgive our enemies, as Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, and if we can forgive our brothers and sisters in the church, can we not forgive the person that we're sleeping with at night, the person that we're under the same roof with? Can we not show a little forgiveness to them? And if we do, our our children will know that. They'll see that. They're very perceptive of things. And if I'm not willing to forgive, they see that too. And that's, that's how, what they're going to grow up thinking is the norm. Respect. Respect. We, our world needs respect. People need to respect each other. You know, people, people go out and, and hurt other people and shoot other people and stab other people and, and, and hurl insults at other people in our world. And, and people don't respect government and they don't respect authority. And where does that all start? Go to Walmart and observe for a few minutes. And, and, you know, kids are, are screaming at their parents and cussing out their parents and throwing things. And, and, and the parents are, are A, ignoring it, or B, saying, now if you keep doing that, I'm going to punish you. And if you don't, you better stop or I'm going to do something. And, and they just keep saying that over and over and over again. And the kid knows they're not going to do anything. They never do anything. I, I'll just do whatever I want to do. 
It's, it's apparent. It's obvious. You know, we, we just go people watch. And, and those little kids that, that learn that there's no consequences for their actions, they grow up into adults that think there's no consequences for my actions. And if I don't like the law, I'll just break it. And if I want something, I'll just take it. And, and you get, you know, store chains that are, that are just moving out of big cities now because they, they just can't keep inventory because people come in and rob them all the time and the police don't do anything about it. And, you know, it, it's just a chaotic world. Again, humanity breeds chaos and God is about order. Where do we learn respect? We learn respect or the lack thereof at home by observing our parents and how they treat each other and how they treat others. And, and when Paul uh, you know, talks in, in Ephesians 5, and, and you know, again, a passage we've read a time or two already this weekend, but when he says in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And the world reads that passage and just goes, ah, Paul's, a, Paul's a sexist. Paul's deme- you know, Paul hated women. Uh, and and, and I, I'm not going to follow that. Uh, that that's, that's antiquated. And, you know, that, that's, that's uh, demeaning, and I, I've had, yeah, I'm not going to do that. God's ways are right. And even, even if I don't totally understand them, God's ways are right. And God's ways lead to order and success. Husbands, love your wives. Verse 25, as Christ loved the church... And gave himself up for her. You know, if, if, we're, if we're young and we're dating and we're thinking about marriage, am I going to be able to submit myself to this man for the rest of my life? Am I capable of loving this woman as my own self? And down in verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Respect for one another. 1 Peter 3, now not, not to belabor the point for, for passages we've already read. We read that this morning. But, but Peter holds up Sarah as, as an, an example of a godly woman who practiced submission to her husband Abraham. And he talks in verse 7 to husbands about honoring their wives and understanding their wives. That we are heirs to the grace of life. Ephesians 6 and verse 4 I'm going to add that as parents, we should respect our children in that we treat them as valuable and special. There are so many children that grow up neglected, abused, not, not 
appreciated, not cared for. Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first half of that verse, you know, we, maybe we fixate a lot on the second half of that verse, the, the discipline and instruction, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But the first part of that thought is, don't provoke your children to anger. Well, how could we provoke our children to anger? Well, if we're demeaning and abusive and too harsh on them uh, as they grow up, they, they may grow up to be embittered and just kind of mad at the world and, and rebellious. And, and Paul warns about that. Don't, don't, don't be so harsh on your children that they're provoked to anger. And in Colossians 3, verses 20 and 21, uh, similarly, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children. There's that word again, provoke. Don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Discouraged. So many children, no doubt, are discouraged. From trying, from, from, from trying to excel, from trying to do better, from trying to, to help others. Probably discouraged in so many ways, no doubt. We should encourage our children to be smart, to be strong, to be caring, to be compassionate. To be hardworking, to to as as Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes, whatever we do, do it with our might. And and when Paul writes in Romans thirteen and verse one that we should respect the higher powers, the governing authorities, and the powers that be ordained of God. Where where do we start to learn to respect authority at home? We learn it in the home. We learn responsibility in the home. Or maybe we don't. But hopefully we do. We learn responsibility. We, we learn to do chores. We learn to, to help with, with uh, doing things around the house or around the farm. We, we learn that, that there are consequences for actions. You know, and, and, and if you'll clean your room, we'll... you'll buy you something that you want. Uh, taking responsibility or, you know, take care of the dog or the cat or, or different, different ways that children can learn responsibility. But they can learn responsibility from looking again at mom and dad and how, how do mom and dad live their life? How do they approach their job? How do they approach uh, taking care of the home? In 1 Timothy 3, Paul starts talking to Timothy about elders overseers, bishops. And uh, verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, but not violent, but gentle not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? We're looking for leaders. 
leaders for God's church. What, how are we going to figure out who has these leadership qualities? We look at their home life. How, what's their home like? How, how, do, how do they treat their children? What, how do their children treat, treat them? How do they treat their spouse? The husband of one wife. To, to, to be an elder or a bishop, we're looking for somebody that demonstrates commitment. That they're, they're married to the same woman because they, they've been able to stick with her and work through their difficulties. And, and he manages his household well. You know, he, he can uh, keep, keep the children in line and the family moving in the right direction. And if he can do that, then he can, he can oversee people. We learn those qualities at home. We, we learn that, that work ethic is important. You know, 1 Timothy 5.8, we read earlier that, that we have to provide for our own or we've, we've forsaken the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, we, uh, God commends us to work, to, to being busy, to being productive. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands. Ephesians 4, 28. God always encourages us to work, to be industrious, but also to keep life in perspective because as we read Jesus say, life does not consist of the abundance of what we possess. And in Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul warns Timothy, understand this, then the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. I always find that fascinating, disobedient to their parents. And that's one of the qualities that Paul says perilous times are going to come because people are going to be disobedient to their parents. Because, again, that, that's the starting point for the rest of their life. If they're disobedient to their parents, are they going to be disruptive in other matters when they become adults? And people will be lovers of money. And, and does what, what does the little child see? Or uh, is... Is mom or dad willing to, to uh, you know, to come to the play or to come to the ball game, or they're just too busy working all the time that that they never see them, and that that must be what's important to, to dad or to mom is just work, 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 and not and not family. Galatians six and verse ten says. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do good to everybody. Where can we learn that? At home. If mom and dad are do good for other people, then we, we observe that, and we learn that that's, that's normal, that's expected. And, and hopefully the home teaches us about God. 
I referred to this passage, I think, this morning, but we didn't read it. But in Deuteronomy 6, uh, as God is instructing the, the Israelites, and we don't live under their law, but I think the principle is, is very valid, that He says in verse um, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. See, there, that's, there's that first commandment Jesus talked about. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates man the word of god is just just all over all sprinkled all through our lives there it's not just talk to your kids about god when you take them to church on sunday morning but it's when you get up in the morning and when you're walking down the road with them and when you're laying them down at night and, and, and just all, all the time. Again, Timothy. Where did Timothy learn to be righteous and seek God? From his mother and his grandmother. Apparently not from his father. His father was a Gentile, was Greek, and, and apparently did not have interest in serving God, but mom did and grandma did. And Timothy learned at home as a child about the scriptures and about God. And Paul, again, reminds him in 2 Timothy 3, 14, to remember what he learned from his childhood and to cling to that. You know, people devote huge amounts of time and money we got to send the kids to college where they need a degree so they can make lots of money. We're going to enroll them in every kind of sports program under the sun and take them to music and art and dance and, and you know do all these things. And any of those things in and of themselves are good. But the single most important thing we can do for our kids is to show them that mommy and daddy love each other and love the Lord. And that's going to help them more than all the math, science, arts, and music education in the world. It's going to help them to have eternal life. It's going to help them to have a better marriage themselves. It's going to help them to, to be productive in whatever they do. They can see us as their parents, that we love God and we're committed to each other and we work through our difficulties. That's the greatest thing we can do for them. And so, is the Lord in your home today? Do you, do you read your Bible in front of the kids, with the kids? Do you, do you pray together at home? Do you put worship before other things? You know, that, that Bengals playoff game started at 3 and church is at 6 and, and, and uh, the game's not over yet. We, what, what's my choice? Am I going to watch the football game or going to come out to worship God? Kids notice. Kids notice what's important to us. 
Do we live the life that we claim to follow? God loves us. God wants to save us. God has gone out of his way to offer us the opportunity to have our sins taken away and have eternal life. In 1 John chapter 5 and in verse 11, the apostle writes, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Do you have the Son? Do you have the Son of God tonight? You need the Son of God in your life. He loves you. He has suffered. He has died for you and for me. And He wants what is best for you. And He asks you to lay down the burden of sin and take up his burden and be his disciple. We need to believe in Jesus as God's Son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We need to repent of our sins. In Luke 13, verse 3, again in verse 5, for a double emphasis, Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, I've... I'm going to have to change some things. I'm going to have to uh, have some remorse about my sins and, and strive to turn around, which is what repenting means, is to turn ourselves around and, and seek after God and His will and to confess our faith in Christ before others with the heart man believes unto life, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10 verse 10. And, and yes, to be baptized. It's a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It washes away our sins, Acts 22.16. It's for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. Baptism does now save us, 1 Peter 3, verse 21. Many think it's unimportant, but the Bible teaches it's essential because it's the answer of our conscience to God, Peter says. As a Christian, we are to grow and walk in, on the Lord's path. And if we, make, if we make mistakes along the way, we can repent and we can turn and we can pray for forgiveness as Simon was told to do by Peter and John. If you're here this evening and we can be of any assistance to you, we invite you to come forward, let us know. We'd be delighted to help you while we stand and sing.